This episode is sponsored by Rhythm Changes, a blog about creative music in Canada by Will Chernoff. If you're a fan of jazz and improvised music, don't miss out on the free weekly article at Rhythm Changes every Tuesday morning. Hundreds of fans in our scene are reading the article every week by email. Join them now and become a member for free today at rhythmchanges.ca PSR. That's rhythmchanges.ca PSR. Thanks to Will at Rhythm Changes for supporting the show. It's kind of up for interpretation a little bit. I don't think I'll have the same answer as somebody else. I'm not trying to be the one who has the answers. I guess this record isn't as mainstream pop as I thought it was going to be, and it just kind of turned into something a little bit different. That's just part of the fun of the process. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and this week we're speaking with Walgren. Walgren is the stage name of vocalist, violinist, and composer Tegan Walgren. The music of Walgren is enigmatic, gorgeous, and emotional, often leaning on the artier end of art pop. Their latest release, Yet Again the Wheel Turns, explores themes of reincarnation, destructive patterns of behavior, and the slow march of time. It's definitely one of the most unique listening experiences from a BC-based artist in 2022. To give you a better idea of what we're talking about, here's a snippet from the first single off of Yet Again the Wheel Turns. This is Slice in the Mouth. come out want to start with some biographical questions uh, namely what's your background in music oh yeah so I started out mainly playing the violin um, when I was seven years old and I was very inspired by river dance <laughs> the <laughs> Celtic uh, dance spectacular uh, <laughs> to start playing that instrument uh, and then I joined the North Shore Celtic Ensemble in North Van, uh, yeah, <laughs> for for like my high school years, and also did like some choir in high school, and then that kind of is what uh, brought me to like study music at university, and then here I am, yeah. When it came to violin, do you come from a musical family, or is that something where you heard that, saw that instrument in Riverdance specifically, you're like, mm-hmm. that, I want to do that? Um, yeah, mostly... Uh, just like saw it, loved it, wanted to do it. But and my parents aren't super, they're not really like instrumentalists or anything, but they were always like very open to music and like really uh, listened to lots of different stuff at home. So I feel like I got kind of exposed to lots of different things, especially different like folk traditions um, and things like that uh, just growing up. So it was always just very kind of, it felt very like open-minded musically. Uh, yeah. It's funny you mentioned Riverdance because I remember <laughs> seeing Riverdance as a kid, like that one special, and also yeah. Lord of the Dance, which mm-hmm. I think was produced potentially by the same company. Yeah. And I think I told my mom, I was like, oh, I want to try dance. I mm-hmm. went to one lesson. I was like, nah, it's ain't for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, I actually did some Irish dance lessons for like a short while, and then I realized, no, it's actually the music that I like yeah. more than the dancing. So I'm glad that I was able to figure that out. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up, but I recall... 
Uh, there's one specific song from River Dance, Dance, which is just epic. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I cannot recall the name of the the. Yeah, um, I don't know the names of any of them, <laughs> but like I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, just about. that epic fiddle Ugh, work. So good. <laughs> as you kind of mentioned or alluded to, uh, you went to post secondary for music as well, specifically at the SFU School for Contemporary Arts, and wanted to ask um what to you have been the benefits of formal training in the arts? Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Because the program I did at SFU, uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's like the the music composition program, which is more kind of in the neoclassical realm. So, and it's very much focused on composition only, like there aren't any um, like music lessons or anything uh, for playing at the school. So it was very much... um, yeah, it was, it was very collaborative with the other, like, disciplines at at the contemporary arts school. So we would have to, like, do projects with dancers or um, film or theater or different things like that um, for certain courses or just, like, outside of courses. And I think that was really the biggest thing that I gained from it was just, like, the early experience in collaboration with non-musical disciplines. And then through that also further kind of kind of having a way to explore my non-musical interests in the arts as well Um, because I think you know all the all the arts education kind of feeds into itself it's not I don't really believe in just a single discipline being you know one's sole focus so so yeah definitely um, just those collaborative practices I think what were some of the projects that you did that really stood out and uh, I guess the other question I'd have is, are there any specific projects you did while you were in school that um, inspired you to start the Walgren Project? Mm. I think, um, to answer your first question, um, yeah, there were, I just did so many, it's hard to like really uh, think of a specific one. I did like a number of theater ones in my first couple years, which was very intense, and I really respect like theater people for dedicating themselves so much to like the rehearsal process and just like almost sometimes every day of the week having a rehearsal and all that and I kind of discovered maybe that's not the area that I wanted to focus on although I'm very glad for the experience (laughs) Um, and I, I think once I started doing more like film scoring and stuff that's when I started to um I think it was always something I wanted to try and it was very exciting to just kind of feel very like the free reign that I had over it you know I could just be in my room and make stuff up and try and make mistakes by myself for a long time and then see if they liked it and uh, kind of just exploring uh, just just communicating with directors and like how uh, they envisioned their their sounds with like what I could bring to it and I always found that to be very um, yeah fulfilling um, and as to your second question, whether any of this inspired Walgren, um, I think Walgren was always something that I wanted to do kind of like, I didn't know how exactly I wanted to do it, but I always wanted to have like kind of a solo, uh, project, um, through my younger years. And then kind of in 2014, I think is when Walgren came to fruition and, 
yeah, 2014, I kind of started focusing more on uh, songwriting by myself and uh, performing as well and trying to figure out just like how to navigate the music scene in this city because I hadn't didn't really have a connection to it in the kinds of music that I was interested in, just like the fiddling community, which is very different. <laughs> and so um, it was something that felt quite apart from my studies as I was going through school and I always really wanted to like find a way to bring them together but I always felt like the things that I was meant to do at school couldn't really coexist with Walgreen somehow and I think you know later on in my like my last couple years of school I think I realized like no these can actually be part of the same work and I can they can feed into each other um but I think it's just I don't know, my own biases and also just kind of the way the academic music world works just kind of made it a little trickier to figure that out. From your experience, you find have you found that the the classical world's still pretty old fashioned? Yeah, I I don't know. I I definitely dabbled in it uh when I was at school and in like a few years after and still do occasionally, but it is it is and it isn't, which isn't a very satisfying answer, but I think um, it's just kind of like the academic way of things uh, that's still old fashioned. And then when you when you put like the arts into that, then it inevitably kind of, I, I don't know, it just feels, you know, some people are really into that way of looking at art and and I can be too on occasion, but I just... I, I love like the freedom that comes with, you know, just doing it in a non, in a less like analytical way and things like that. But certainly like the, the analyses of music that I had to do at school have really been beneficial for what I do now, or even like when I'm writing like a press release or whatever, like just to know how to write about these things has been useful. Your music has been compared to the likes of Kate Bush and Bjork. Who would you say are your inspirations, especially as a vocalist? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I've heard people say that on occasion, which is really kind because <laughs> I, I don't know if I would like want to say I'm at their level at all. Um, but I don't know. I think as a vocalist, it's um, a good question. I think I've just absorbed a lot of what, like the kinds of music that my parents listened to when I was a kid and just kind of all these, you know, different like classical and folk and pop kinds of vocal styles that I listened to as a kid. But I think in kind of recent years, one one thing that's been really influential to me was my singing teacher that I had uh, just before the pandemic in 2019. Her name is Viviane Hool. And uh, she uh, really taught me um, kind of how to lean into the voice in a completely new way. Uh, just we would do like a lot of improvisation in our lessons. We would do, we wouldn't even really like learn songs. We would just kind of like improvise and explore the different facets of our voices, whether that would be like the kind of quote unquote beautiful sounds or ugly sounds or whatever. Um, and I think those lessons really helped me think of the voice in a new way. Um, in a way that I'd always wanted to explore. And even though I'm doing kind of more 
I don't know what you'd call it. Like the music I'm making is certainly more conventional than, you know, the singing we were doing in those lessons, but it's definitely really informed the way that I sing and aspire to sing today. Hmm. So in a way, your teacher's kind of an inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. As you had kind of were mentioning and that kind of ties in nicely to um, really a focus that I want to talk about, you've released two albums to date, which are quite distinct from one another. Bird Alien is definitely more abstract and experimental with your voice serving as an instrument, I imagine probably informed by some of the training. With Yet Again the Wheel Turns, though, the songs, uh, to my ears, I notice are more filled out, more ornate. Uh, chamber art pop would be a mm. term I would use to describe it. What was your approach to the songs that make up this new record? Mm. Um, yeah, the songs on this new record, I think um, Bird Alien certainly was like, a framework for like learning how to make an album. <laughs> it was like the first time I'd ever made something like that. And so the songs that I've, that have come out with this new album, I think I definitely tried to make them a bit more, like have a bit more of a form, if that makes sense. But then I realized that like, as soon as I tried to do that, they still ended up being like six and seven minutes long. <laughs> and I just couldn't help it. Um, but yeah, they were all written kind of at the end of 2019, like the beginning of 2020, like before the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I think they were just kind of born out of that time. Um, yeah, it's hard to be specific, but just the music I was listening to at that time and the relationships I was having and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, and certainly the reason that they sound, you know, more produced and more filled out is because I had a budget this time. I got some grants, luckily, for this album, so I was able to be a lot more ambitious and, uh, you know, hire instrumentalists to play parts and things like that. So, yeah, it was a lot a lot of fun to be able to do that. Always helps working with a bigger budget. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this is not an expense. Not uh, Let me rephrase that. This is not a cheap <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> it is certainly well, not. Like it can be, but there are definitely limitations when it comes to that. And I that's think. what I experienced with Bird Alien. Like I think the only things I paid for were like the mastering and like the photo shoot and yeah, maybe a couple other things. But yeah, I just made it all by myself in my bedroom and which is cool. But, you know, if I remade it today, it would be certainly with a different approach. <laughs> Have you thought about revisiting any of those songs, especially off of Bird Alien? Maybe with like, you know, again, having more instrumentalists available? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still maybe a couple songs from that album that I have still been performing live. But honestly, like most of it feels like it's just in the past and feels like it's quite different from what I would like to do moving forward. But I still do quite like the song River Valley off that album. <laughs> You always hold on to the the ones you want to play the most. Mm-hmm, definitely. No matter how yeah. old the project might be. Yeah. <laughs> you touched on uh, the fact that uh, the songs on Yet Again were written in late 2019, and the themes of the record touch on really the chaos of the last three years. Was this... Uh, 
Do the themes on this record reflect topics you frequently think about, or is this a case of really convenient timing? I think it's kind of both. Like, it seems like, you know, as, you know, because of course, you know, when you write uh, an album, it's usually like maybe even a couple years before it comes out, as in this case. Um, so by the time we were recording and producing them, we were kind of in the full swing of the pandemic, and they just seemed to be more like more relevant than ever uh, in a lot of ways, which I found very interesting. But I think that a lot of the things I was thinking about as I was writing were just kind of things that were already brewing anyways um, and have been happening for quite a while and have only just become exacerbated in the pandemic, just, you know, climate change and global chaos and those kinds of things. Um, so it's certainly not anything new that I was writing about. <laughs> that was something that I noticed and I found <laughs> mildly distressing at points in the in the worst of the pandemic was uh, some of the sentiments that people were expressing, like, you know, hopelessness and, mm. you know, the nihilism and stuff like that. For me, I was like, hey, that's my mindset as when I was a teenager. I don't like seeing that from, from grown adults. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And like, I think certainly, you know, over that time, like I spent a lot of time, probably like many people, I spent a lot of time going back and forth and being like, but I thought I was over this mindset. I thought that that was just like a teenage version of myself. And then realizing like, there are sometimes situations where these, these feelings and mindsets can bubble up again. And, um, and I think the kind of um, conclusions I drew from the songs and how I was feeling over this past while have been kind of just, um, you know, embracing chaos and kind of surrendering to it because at a certain point there's just nothing you can do. And kind of I've described the album at times as having kind of a... Um, finding like the bliss in chaos, uh, you might say, though it's not, you know, it's not, hasn't been a fun time. It's just kind of, there's some kind of freedom and just being like, fuck it. You know, this is happening and here we are. <laughs> and just, it's absurd. I think there's a lot of absurdity and almost kind of like twisted humor in it. And we can certainly feel all of those things at once like it can feel devastating and sad and horrifying as well as like hilarious and weird and absurd and just like and I think a lot of the chaos in many people's minds over the past few years has been just having to reckon with all of those things being inside us at once because um, it's very it just feels very complicated internally I think. It's almost like a spin on the on the axiom ignorance is bliss. It's more like acceptance is bliss. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And I don't know if that's like where I want to end my thinking on this topic, but it's it's been some like a a point uh, that I've found on the way through at least. Yeah, it's like you know, speaking of climate change and stuff like that, like you can do everything you can. You can recycle, you can take transit can be as eco-friendly as you as you want but there's only so much you as an individual can do mm -hmm. exactly and that's where like the power powerlessness comes in and just you know yeah you can find a lot of ways to think through that power powerlessness and to find different ways to come to terms with it whatever that may be but before you 
come to those conclusions. You have to have like a lot of emotional turmoil, you know, within yourself. And I think that's, that was, for me, that was writing this album, (laughs) if that makes sense. Is the song cycle of the tracks themselves reflective of that process in a way? Mm. Yeah, I think just a lot of the songs have to do with um, just time and the nature of it and how, I don't know, just endings and beginnings and things and, you know, the fear of the unknown and and things like that. So, yeah, in, in more concrete and abstract ways, I think that, yeah, it was, it was a way for me to, to move through those feelings. I'm curious as to whether or not there's a certain song or musical passage that you feel captures the tone of the record as a whole. Mm, that's a good... I think one line that has always kind of stuck out to me um, is uh, from the song Pseudo-Religion, uh, and the line is, am I a fool for seeking clarity when I know that nothing will ever be clear? <laughs> um, it just feels like something that we're all kind of trying to do. And there's times when I wonder, like, is it just a foolish endeavor to, you know, whether it's through spirituality or religion that we're seeking this or through philosophy or whatever it may be, wherever you come from, you know, is it, is the search fruitless or is it, um, is it actually really empowering? And I think that's just a question I've been asking myself for a long time and probably continue will continue to ask myself. It's just a thing, and it's almost like really putting the, going um, philosophy galaxy brain here. It's almost like the, the, the meaning of life is figuring out what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I think I might have stolen that from a Star Trek episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, the same idea. Like, it's certainly definitely not an idea I came up with. Like, it's been, you know, something that, many people and philosophers over hundreds or if not thousands of years have always wondered about and i guess it'll never end <laughs> what would you say your songwriting process was like for this release uh, i asked because i have seen a couple of videos of you performing solo with a with a keyboard and of course there's a lot of other musicians that you were working with on this release did you have everything like figured out before you went into the studio or Hmm. were you working with them to finalize all those other pieces yeah I think this record ended up being a lot more collaborative than the previous one just you know by the fact that there were a lot of other musicians involved um I definitely had pretty solid like arrangement ideas kind of about the songs before recording them but those certainly changed as the recording process went on and I always want to try to be open to what other musicians offer because you know if I I just don't like the idea of you know just just telling people what to do and making them do it especially if you know that's not quite what they're best at or something like I think that it's just it's always beneficial to the art to allow people a bit of at least a little bit of freedom to interpret it in their own way um so yeah were there any specific songs that really 
had a different final form than they uh, started out at? Mm. Um, I don't know if anything was like shockingly different, but I think, you know, pretty much everything, I mean, just ended up being better than I could have imagined just because, you know, it's like you're instead of just one person's brain and, you know, was making this record like it was before it was it was many brains like uh, making it all at once and there's only I think it can only be better when when that's the case I read that the bed tracks were recorded live off the floor what was that experience like considering again how much instrumentation is in mm-hmm. each song yeah I think that was a really great way to um keep the songs feeling natural and alive um, because we tried, um, uh, with, with a few of the songs, we tried kind of just, you know, piecing them together with a click track, like, you know, you could, you do many times, but, but it just, something just felt off and a little wooden with that, with these songs. So we realized, um, it, it would be best to, yeah, just go into the studio. We rehearsed a bunch with the band before going in. Um, and then just recorded the bed tracks and then on top of that, just kind of piled everything else on that you hear. So yeah, they're, the, the songs themselves as they're recorded, they don't have quite a, yeah, you, you can't like put a click track to them because there, there's something a little, there's many parts when we just like don't have one going and it's just, you know, us communicating in the room at that exact time. I'm probably speculating here but it seems to me that there's more artists that are uh, taking that approach i guess it varies from genre to genre Mm -hmm. like you know like mainstream pop especially like no no they're recording everything separately but Mm -hmm. yeah because i think initially i thought of this record more as like more in the direction of mainstream pop so i thought that's what we would do um it just seems like okay this just seems logical we're just going to record everything like we're just going to do a click track do the drums do this do that whatever but yeah, I think as the process went on, I just discovered that I guess this record isn't as mainstream pop as I thought it was going to be. And it just kind of turned into something a little bit different. Um, yeah. And I think that's just part of the fun of the process. <laughs> Speaking of the process, yet again is co-produced by Harley Small, who's past guest to the show and an excellent solo artist in his own right. How would you describe the dynamics of your creative partnership? Yeah, we have, uh, I think we work really well together creatively. Um, we just kind of are able to, like in our many studio sessions, uh, I think we kind of, he's he's worked with me a lot over the years, so he, I think he has a good understanding of Walgren and the kinds of, you know, whatever, the things that make a Walgren song a Walgren song and the things that don't. Um, so just speaking the same language was really helpful. And at the same time as that, like having someone else's input, um, he was able to really like challenge me on like, does a Walgren song have to be this way? Can it be a slightly different way? Can it be vastly different than what you thought it would be? And I found that to be one of Harley's qualities that was, um, really, really great in putting together this record, just, you know, questioning what my music is and what I want it to be and 
how that all fits together. Um, so yeah, he was a really great creative partner on this. He uh, plays on the record as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he plays um, the piano and, and synthesizer on the record. Nice. Mm-hmm. And a well, as well, a little bit of acoustic guitar, which is one of those things that I never thought would ever appear on a Walgren song. And, really? And yet he had the idea to do it, and I, I think it really works. <laughs> I mean, there's a pretty rad guitar solo on pseudo-religion. So. Oh, yeah, that one. That Yeah, that was um, Tristan Paxton, um, who is a, a local uh, electric shredder. <laughs> And uh, yeah, one of Harley's uh, connections and yeah, Tristan just like, he came in, did maybe seven to 10 takes. All of them were perfect. And then we just, you know, a few days later, we just listened to all of them and then pieced together the bits that were our favorite. But honestly, all of it sounded so good. <laughs> yeah, that to me, uh, listening to th- that part of that song specifically, it was just like, oh, that's a very Kate Bush, remind me of Kate Bush, like I think the, the guitar lead on Wuthering Heights Mm-hmm. Uh, like mimics the the melody but yeah right yeah awesome moment i love that oh uh, yeah i think that's probably on one of my top favorite moments of the record it was incredible <laughs> do you know if uh harley's working on a new release i i love cassettes for the new millennium but mm-hmm. he's only released a couple singles one of them was with you just over the past few years yeah no uh cassettes from the new millennium is still uh, one of my favorite albums like it's it's just so great and so different um and I, yeah, but I, I'm not sure about what he's working on now. Yeah, we'll have to ask him. Yeah, I got to reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have him back on the show. Um, who else? It, well, you touched on a, a couple people, but I'm curious as to uh, who else uh, helped you realize your vision for yet again from recording all the way to promotion. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm worried that I'm going to forget some people. So apologies in advance. Um, but the musicians who... Um, worked so hard to like rehearse for the bed tracks of the record um, and you know play all those parts were Harley of course and uh, my good friend Jasper Rinch who played the bass and uh, Joshua Griffin who played uh, the drums on those so they were really like integral in kind of giving the record the feel that it has um, and then we had a few session musicians uh, Tristan Paxson who I mentioned on that guitar solo and Elisa Thorne on the harp, uh, she played on like the first three songs of the record. And whenever I hear those little like harp bits, I just feel like shivers go up my spine. I'm like, oh my God, it's so perfect. And oh my God, who else? We had Rory Hislop on the flugelhorn, um, Slice in the Mouth. <laughs> Not an instrument I thought would be on the record either, but I love it. I'm having trouble <laughs> picturing what a f- uh, fugelhorn looks like. I can only think of a French horn right now. It's like kind of similar to a trumpet, but just a little different. I don't know. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm not a flugelhorn <laughs> expert, and I apologize to anyone who That's is. That's a small niche of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was having a, a conversation at like a, a banquet dinner yesterday um, about um, different musical instruments, and uh, it, it came into the conversation that I had played clarinet all throughout high school, and I was like, man, I should pick saxophone or flute. <laughs> those instruments have like a following and there's mm. cool people who play those. No one can name a cool clarinet player. <laughs> I don't know. I actually played the clarinet as well uh, back in the day. No way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no regrets. But then you picked so. up violin. Which is, <laughs> it, it's an infinitely cooler clarinet. I don't know. Than clarinet. Yeah. I I feel like I should be able to name some famous clarinet players because I there definitely are a bunch of them and I, I can name I, exactly one, but yeah, I feel so bad that my knowledge of the clarinet is escaping me right now. Um, 
But no, I love the clarinet. I think it's a great instrument. Be proud of your clarinet days. <laughs> and then I guess you can also play the saxophone if you wanted to, because it has That's the true. same fingering. Yeah, I should really look into that. Yeah. I mean, I, I primarily play bass right now. Oh, okay. But, yeah. yeah. That's that's cool, I guess. Much yeah. like our producer will. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. How do you develop the visual element of your act um, with the music video that you released for yet again and the single art? There's a consistent color scheme and frequent use of tools as props. I'm just curious about mm. that. Yeah, I feel like the visual aspect of uh, music to me kind of it comes along around you know at the same pace as the music itself. I I, I see them as like almost equally important and. Yeah, the visual side of it to me really like helps solidify like what it is uh, that we're listening to. Um, I think, yeah, the color scheme uh, is very like warm tones, a lot of like kind of orange and reds and like yellowy colors. Uh, I definitely just wanted something that was vastly different than Bird Alien, which was like dark green, dark blue, very cool tones. I just kind of felt like some especially with the subject matter of like <laughs> you know life and death the end of the world all these kind of troubling things this kind of warm hugging color palette felt like just like comforting alongside those uh those ideas felt like it paired in a nice way <laughs> um and yeah the tools uh especially in the slice of the mouth music video um, I, I, I don't know. I think just the, the, the kind of the rawness of having more like industrial objects alongside very like lush nature or more kind of very produced studio photo visuals. I really like that contrast, um, where, you know, you see like in the in the video, there's like safety vests, like bright orange and yellow. And I think I have like a little chainsaw and like different like little objects like that. Um, and in one scene of the video, there's like this, you can see the um, like the Burnaby oil refinery behind me. Yeah, there's just something about that contrast that really, um, I don't know, just really speaks to me and somehow what like the music that I was writing for this album. Yeah. How does visual symbolism reinforce the themes of your music? Mm. I mean, I think it's, you know, music is so abstract and like the, the visuals are abstract in their own quite different way. So I feel like um, the way that they reinforce each other is it's kind of up for interpretation a little bit. I don't think I'll have the same answer as somebody else. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be the one who has the answers. You know, I don't think I haven't like defined what it is, but I think, I think for this record, like it kind of has a very like seventies, like, you know, psychedelic adjacent <laughs> kind of visual world. And I think I was trying to capture something like that in the music. Um, something like, there's certainly some like Pink Floyd influence and things like that, both with like the length of the songs. And I was, was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed that as well. There's yeah. certainly some like extended passages with like synth and like 
soft jazz drums were like, oh, this is Pink Floyd stuff. Yeah, on. yeah. I think just it just felt like a good time to. I've always tried to write like three minute songs, like just, you know, radio friendly. Let's just get it on the radio, get some royalties, you know, fund this project. But I just find it so difficult to do that. And maybe it's just because I'm not as good at editing as I would like. But I don't know. Sometimes I think the songs just have a length that they want to be and they just have to be that long. And it's, you know, there's... I, I don't really think of it, you know, the form is like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, whatever. Kind of like, you know, there might be like three songs within a song kind of thing that will like, you know, return to one and then go to the other one and then return to that one and this and that. I mean, Yoke yeah. kind of does that, right? It kind of has like mm-hmm. three distinct passages that kind of like move within one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It just feels like... Uh, I don't know. Just, just the way songwriting comes comes naturally to me. I guess. <laughs> if it if the song is six minutes, it is six minutes. It's supposed it just demands to be. Itself yeah. To be <laughs> you uh, had the opportunity to tour Germany, and mm-hmm. what led you to play in that country specifically? And what were some of your highlights from your time over there? Yeah, it was actually uh, it was supposed to be like in November 2020, and then of course got pushed to. Finally, May 2022, which is amazing that it actually happened. But yeah, I just kind of, I don't know, in back in yeah, like 2019 or 2020, I made a connection with a like German booking agency and just started, kind of started chatting with them. And I, you know, I've been trying to figure out ways to kind of broaden my reach a little bit, you know, hopefully start touring in Europe at some point. And Germany seemed like a, a great in because um, I have like a huge music industry and a very um, I feel like the I don't know the listeners there are like open-minded in a slightly different way um, so maybe things that aren't quite as successful here can be really successful there and I was just kind of curious as to whether maybe that's me um, and so yeah they did some promo for me I did like a couple like online radio interviews over like a couple years and then finally in 2022 went did like a 15 date tour of Germany and yeah it was super fun it was pretty like small gigs of course but I, I had a great time I just like drove around in a rental car on the Audubon for a month and had a blast <laughs> what was your touring setup like did you bring along your harpist or Oh my God, I wish. Yeah, it was just me. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's, you know, all I got funding for at the time. Um, and just, you know, certainly logistically with COVID, it's like, it's just so hard to add like other factors to a tour plan. I thought it just, it would be safest, you know, just, uh, you know, logistically and financially if I was the only risk factor. <laughs> Leave the orchestra at home. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But um yeah, so I just brought like my little Yamaha Reface uh, CS synth, if anyone's familiar, um, uh, which just like fit in my carry-on, which is great. And uh, this little like playback machine, like I honestly kind of did did a bit of a karaoke style tour. It was kind of not exactly what I, you know, ideally would have done, but I just felt like... 
uh, singing has always been like the the key part of performing for me. Like I I've always strived to you know back when I played a lot of violin on stage and did looping and stuff, I was always trying to like outsource that to someone else when I could and try to be able to just focus on one thing as when I was performing. So in order to do that alone, I had to kind of just I used some recordings from the unreleased album at the time and. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it went well enough. <laughs> yeah. Were there any other, like, North American bands you, you played with on that tour, or mm-hmm. was it primarily, like, Europeans and German bands you're playing with? I was actually surprised that it seems to be the case a lot of the time that it's just one band per night playing at a lot of these venues. Oh, wow. Especially, like, the smaller ones, I guess. Like, there were only multiple acts like a few times and yeah a couple times I did bump into some American acts from like Seattle and stuff which was cool I was like oh hey guys we have like the same accent <laughs> uh, um, but yeah a lot of the time it was just me playing a set and Germans was, that are efficient yeah I, yeah exactly and I we was, have a show it is one artist <laughs> and I did not expect this like the first show I did was in like the east of Germany and it was like this very small venue um i think the they're only the audience is very small for that first one i think maybe like there were like five older german men that attended who were very into like art rock but we're talking like you know genesis like old older kind of rock stuff yeah. as well <laughs> i was expecting noi what's this <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but they were very kind and gracious um but yeah it was just me playing like an hour set for them and that's it and i was like okay thank you everybody thanks for coming <laughs> off to the next one and yeah so that was the case for a lot of the shows it's just uh yeah but it, in a way it was kind of it was interesting to like have the focus be very much only on me in a way where i normally would expect it to be like diffused among several bands yeah i imagine for future tours you'll probably try and go with with a band yeah i would i would love to do that um if at all possible um yeah i'm trying to like apply do the whole festival application thing for next year getting that going and trying to really be like on the ball with it and making sure i can have like the funding and the the logistics figured out in a way that will allow the band to come along (laughs) for sure considering that yet again obviously went in a different direction sonically than bird alien what do you think the next Walgren release might sound like? Ooh, I definitely have been thinking about that. Um, not in the least because I wrote all these la- these things like <laughs> three years ago. So it's about time for me to start thinking of new sounds. <laughs> um, I feel honestly like the first thing I thought about was the color palette um, and kind of the visual stuff even before and I think that's started to inform maybe like the sonic direction of what this album might be um yeah even though I said like yet again would be more of a pop record I genuinely think this next one will start going in that direction like there's been a huge you know um the the hyper pop movement certainly has been a huge uh influence over the past number of years like I if anyone's familiar the the PC music collective I started listening to their stuff back in like 
2013, 2014 when that started coming out and it was always very like exciting and to see that it's becoming almost kind of like mainstream now is really cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly how that'll influence this next thing, but I think something will be drawn from there. Yeah, that, uh, that I'm a fan of that hyper pop stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I'm selective because some of it is, it's, it's a funny, a funny genre and that some of it's like, oh, this is like, really catchy but weird and i like that and some of it's like oh wow this is like intentionally capital a abrasive yeah i think like there's some misleading things to those who aren't as familiar with like hyper pop as a genre that it's oh it's just like pop but more no it's like <laughs> it's like satirical pop yeah was, like yeah you could definitely say satirical pop um for some of it or um it's almost kind of like art music in a way it feels like like you know the electroacoustic side of sfu would like eventually come up with stuff like this or something you know it's very um it can be very challenging music in a lot of ways which i think is super cool and a lot of it just kind of rides the line in between which is is kind of what keeps it very exciting and what you know but at the same time utilizing those you know, those huge strengths of pop music, you know, just catchy hooks, uh, really simplistic lyrics, like really, uh, not necessarily simplistic, but just things that catch the ear really well. Um, but skewered to a certain yeah, degree. Yeah, and then bringing that into, you know, a kind of musical form that can be somewhat more challenging. I think that's, it's just such a cool marriage of those things. Yeah, that one, uh, sadly, the one Sophie record that got oh, released. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the most like avant-garde things I've listened to in years. It's, yeah, oh, it's Sophie's wild. amazing. Yeah, I love her work. Twenty twenty two is coming to a close, which means it's best of the year season for music dorks like myself. It's one of my favorite times of the year. What have been some of your favorite releases of twenty twenty two? Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I feel a little put on the spot here because I wish I'd thought about it more uh i haven't been like super good at listening to a lot of music lately unfortunately but um one of my favorite um local records of the year um is amanda sum's record that she just released in september um that one is fantastic it's very like there's a lot of like jazz influence and her voice is just stunning and beautiful and and very like I don't know, quite different than a lot of voices I've heard before. Um, so yeah, that's a that's definitely a local favorite for me. I'll have to have a think. Oh. <laughs> Am I? Uh, I realize my next question is kind of in a similar vein. Um, what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode? Mm, okay, well, I'm sure you probably have brought quite a few of these on already, but if you haven't, or just for those listening cool people to check out yeah amanda sum as i mentioned is really great um certainly one of my favorite another one of my favorite local acts is devours have you guys had had devours on yet uh yes well kind of uh interviewed jeff before but mm-hmm. it was for his uh golden age wrestling oh, okay. project yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, either one of those are fabulous. Yeah, projects. Jeff is great. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff is so, so speaking nice. Of hyper, <laughs> it's funny. I 
uh, how I found out about Hi- Hyperpop was I saw a show at Redgate where Devourers was playing, mm. and my buddy, uh, I went to the show with my buddy, and my buddy after the show was just like, oh, this reminds me of like some PC music, like Hyperpop, like kind of the weirder Charlie XCX stuff, and that's how I found out about mm, cool. that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his music is very in that vein as well. Um, also... Uh, Another fave and just happens to be someone I know, uh, Troll Dolly, um, Jan Yakimovic, uh, Yakimovic's project. Um, she happens to play drums for me now. <laughs> nice. Um, but her solo music is really cool and it's very like soft and warm, but intricate at the same time. Um, so very recommended. Oh, I have I have so many. I just need to like give you a giant list, but I'll leave you with those for now. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. We haven't had Amanda or Troll Dolly on the show before, mm-hmm. so definitely look into that. Especially if they have anything coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think we'll call it at that. Actually, how's that feel? Feels great. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I'm your host James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at PacificSoundRadio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. Here is Yoke by Walgren. Walgren.